To learn more about The Church at West Gant, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. I preached for the Spanish service last week, and let me tell you guys, if you haven't had an opportunity or a chance to visit one of our Spanish services on Sundays a las dos, domingo a las dos, you really should. You really, really should. I highly recommend and encourage you guys to do so. You may not be able to understand everything that is said, but they do translate at every single service so that you can hear it in English or in Spanish. A lot of the youth that attend, they like to hear it in English because that's what they speak at school and that's what they speak with their friends. So every single Sunday, what Antonio is saying is being translated, so you would be able to understand it. Now, I will say there's a passage in the book of Isaiah where a burning coal is touched to his lips, and truthfully, I feel like that's what's going to happen to Antonio. I feel like his mouth is just going to catch on fire because he is speaking so fast, and he gets so excited, but there really is a sweet, sweet spirit that fills the room each and every week. You should really go check it out. But this week and this morning, I'm happy to be back here with you guys, and we're going to be doing things a little bit different this morning. This isn't how I usually preach, and this isn't how I usually format or structure my messages, but as this Sunday was approaching, and as I was thinking through and praying through and preparing for this sermon, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and then I prayed some more for God to give me the words that I needed to speak and share with you all. And as I was driving down 385 on Tuesday morning, he gave me one single sentence that this entire message is being built around. So here, shortly, I'm going to give you that sentence at the very beginning, so you can quit listening if you want to. But then we're going to go through the process of operation and dissection. Now, here's where things get incredibly difficult for me personally, because I have zero experience with operation or dissection. When I was in middle school and the time came to dissect a frog, I was excused from class that day. I wasn't kicked out of class that day. I was literally excused because, believe it or not, after all of these years and after I've grown and matured and developed and things like that, not a whole lot's changed. For one, there's no way in this world that I'm going to touch a living frog. It's not happening. It is not happening. Matter of fact, Hannah is the bug killer in our house. I am not touching a bug. I'm not touching a frog. I don't care if it's living. And I'm certainly not going to touch a frog that's dead because, you know, hashtag germs. I'm not doing it. A couple of weeks ago in our small group, and, and let me pause there. Speaking of our small group, sorry, I've had a lot of caffeine and Red Bull this morning. Anyway, I got two things I want to mention about our small group. A couple of weeks ago, Tyler and Josh were talking about field dressing and cleaning deers and stuff like that, and that's just gross, and you guys are weird. More power to you. I love you both, but you guys are weird. So, Sorry. That's the first thing I want to mention about our small group. I love you guys, but you're weird. The second thing is, I haven't talked to the Reverend Dr. Bishop Christopher Bates about this, but what I need from you guys is I need a couple of Bibles. So 
pretty regularly we'll get a couple of guys that are in between places to stay. They'll visit. Um, they'll have their worldly possessions in a couple of grocery bags or, or stuff like that, and they'll come hang out with us because they're leaving Turning Point or they're just falling on hard times or whatever the case may be, and they'll come hang out with us in our small group. And so far, we've given out four Bibles to different guys that have come and hang out with us. So Michael gave one away a couple of weeks ago. I gave one away this past Wednesday night. So if you guys could just help us out with a couple of, you know, those small award-type Bibles or just something that we can put in the hands of these guys that come visit because none of them have one. So uh, anyway, do what? Amen. Amen. So anyway, back to, back to the sermon. Like I said, I have zero experience with dissection, so we're going to see how this goes. But the single sentence that God gave me that this entire message is being built around is God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. Let me say that again. God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. Now you guys say it with me. God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. If you're taking notes on your iPhone, iPad, leather-bound journal, or any other note-taking device that you may have, write down the sentence, God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. So does everyone have it? That sentence is going to be our hypothetical frog, and now we're going to start cutting it open. So God made a promise. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we invite you. God, I ask you and I invite you to come into this place. God, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and only the things that you would have to be said from the pulpit this morning would be said. God, I pray that you would help us to gain a deeper understanding of who you are. I pray that you would help us to gain a deeper understanding of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to know you and to trust you and believe you through this message. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So God made a promise. But why was there a need for God to make a promise in the first week or in the first place? A few weeks ago, the evangelist William E. Orr shared a message with us on Noah and the flood and the effects of sin and the fall of man. But what we need to remember about this flood is that this flood wasn't just a minor inconvenience type flood. The house we live in right now, our water heater is in the, the basement. Um, the, the air conditioner and the condensation lines and all that kind of happened right there in the same place. And 
I keep our house on 65 degrees and forbid my wife to touch it because I work outside every single day, and the last thing that I'm going to do is come home to a hot house, so we keep it cold in there. So the, the, the air conditioner is constantly running, it's constantly pumping water out, that kind of thing. And for a while, there was like a pinhole leak somewhere in the system, and the, the, the basement floor, which was concrete, would, would flood. So you'd have to get a push broom, and you'd have to go sweep some water and that kind of thing. It was more inconvenient than anything. Uh, but, but the flood with Noah is a little bit worse than a minor inconvenience. I don't know if you guys have ever walked through wet carpet or walked with wet socks on your feet. This is a little bit worse than that. My grandmother, she actually used to live in a home that sat on the edge of a creek bank, and she was always terrified that the creek bank was going to flood. But this flood that we're talking about this morning is much, much worse than even that. This flood was so bad that it literally wiped out like 99.99999% of humanity. This flood was so bad that all humanity was wiped out except for eight survivors. The only survivors were Noah, Noah's wife, their three sons, and their wives. And the only reason that they were survived is because of Noah's obedience and willingness to listen and submit to God and build a boat. And the crazy thing that we don't realize about Noah and Abraham, which is the guy that we're going to be talking about here shortly, is at the time of Abraham's birth, so when Abraham was born, Noah and his sons were still living. There are only 43 years between Noah's death and the birth of Abraham's son, Isaac. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there are still eyewitness accounts of the flood when Abraham shows up on the scene. The full effects of the fall felt during the flood are still being talked about by people who were there. So when they went to Gus's, you know, they're, they're talking about, hey, y'all remember that flood 40-something years ago? Y'all remember how everybody died? Yeah, that was a bad day. That was a bad flood. So a few short years ago, God gave a command and God gave a covenant to Noah. The command and the covenant that were given to Noah can be found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 reads, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase the number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all of the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I have given you the green plants, I will now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that still has lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand, demand an account. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Verse 6, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has come, excuse me, for the image of God has God made mankind. And for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. That sounds pretty familiar, right? The beautiful thing about this command is that it is the exact same command. It is an exact mirror image of the command that was given to Adam and Eve. 
The command given to Adam and Eve was to what? It was to be fruitful and multiply. But this new command also included some additions to prohibit a repeat of Cain and Abel. That was the command. And then God makes a covenant with Noah and his family that can be found and read in Genesis 9, 8 through 12. In Genesis 9, 8 through 12, it says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. With every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. So at the end of verse 12, we are confident that God has upheld his end of the bargain. But now it's up to Noah and his sons and their lives to uphold the end of their, or, or to uphold their end of the bargain. Their end of the bargain was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and create all generations to come, as stated in the very end of verse 12. Enter stage right, enter Abraham. God follows the same pattern again after Noah's death, but this time he picks up with the newest generation of Noah's family to be born, a man by the name of Abraham. To continue reading in Genesis, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 reads, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's promise. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. So let's begin to cut it open. In verse 2, God tells Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. Now, y'all know I can't give a sermon without giving you a definition. So a defin or, or by definition, a nation is a territorial division containing a body of people characterized by a relatively large and independent status. So in order to make Abraham a great nation, what did God have to do? In order to make Abraham a great nation, God first had to give him land. Would that not be a great gift to receive? This summer, we actually had a guy at work who, who worked with us, and his grandfather passed away, and as part of that inheritance, when his grandfather passed away, I never really heard the exact square footage or acreage or anything like that, but this particular guy, when his grandfather passed away, received a large tract of land. Uh, from, from what I understand, it had a farm, and there were lots of, I, I don't know, I, I never heard much about it because he quit after he received the inheritance. Um, true story, I mean, 
I can't say that I blame them. If I inherited uh, a farm like that, I don't know that I would be much different. When my grandmother passed away, I think I got a dresser, but it's a nice dresser, it is, but I didn't receive 80 acres of land or anything like that. But that, anyway, that's the Red Bull. But wouldn't that be a great gift to receive? Most people don't receive this kind of gift in their lifetime, but this is a gift that God chose to give to Abraham. He gave him land. But what good is land? What does it do? So during the Revolutionary War, a wise, young George Washington made the following statement, and he said, land is the most permanent estate and the most likely resource to increase in value. This land that God promised to Abraham provided a foundation for a future. This land that God promised to Abraham created a space that could be cultivated and grown and developed and gardened and plowed and tilled. This land that God promised to Abraham created sustenance. This land that God provided to Abraham created stability. This land created safety. It created security. This land that God promised to Abraham gave Abraham and his descendants a place to live. It gave them a place to create shelter, to garden and grow, as I've already said. It gave them a place to be fruitful and multiply. It gave them a place to relax and recharge. It gave Abraham and his descendants a place to call home. But this land was also incredibly, incredibly valuable, which is why kings and rulers and people groups and nations have been fighting over land for centuries. By giving Abraham a land, he was fulfilling his promise to make a nation out of him, which is the very first promise that he made to Abraham in verse two. In one single verse, in one verse, we're already seeing God's promise to Abraham being fulfilled. Don't miss that. In our, in our sentence that this sermon was being built around, God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. The next piece that we should start to discuss at this time is the purpose piece. But since we're dissecting it, I want us to take that frog leg of purpose, just kind of cut it off for a minute and set it to the side. And I want us to move on to impacted people. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8 reads, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? The people group or nation that we're talking about in this verse is the nation of Israel. Today, the nation of Israel has a population of approximately 8.5 million people. For reference, that's about the size of New Jersey. But this nation of approximately 8.5 million people has become one of the geopolitical centers of the world. 
which means that this nation has had an impact on people across the entire globe. Now, notice I said globe because the earth is round. I didn't say, you know, anyway. The nation, this nation has an impact on people across the entire globe. This nation has had an impact on people worldwide. So when I, when I was studying and preparing for this this sermon, I did a lot of research on this particular nation. And what I found is there is a disproportionate number of Nobel Prize winners that comes out of the nation of Israel. Does anybody know what a Nobel Prize is? Tommy does. We got one. So a Nobel Prize is handed out to individuals in recognition of significant contributions to mankind. From 1901 to 2017, so 1901 to 2017, approximately 900 Nobel Prizes have been given out to individuals in recognition of significant contributions to mankind. So of that total, of that 900 number, at least 195 Nobel Prize awards have been handed out and awarded to people of the nation of Israel. Of the 7.6 billion inhabitants of the world, about 8.5 million people of this demographic, which is less than one quarter of 1% of the total population of the world. Well, why is that important? That is important because this small, small, minuscule percentile of people has won 22% of the Nobel Prizes to date. This people has made an impact on all of mankind. Needless to say, God has blessed this nation incredibly, which in turn has blessed the whole world. Two major world religions, Christianity and Judaism, acknowledge Abraham and Isaac as forefathers of their faith. In addition, one other major world religion, Islam, acknowledges Abraham and Ishmael as fathers of their faith. The tribes of the northern Arabian Peninsula descended from Abraham's son Ishmael and are still seldom referred to as Ishmaelites. Muslim people also believe that Muhammad was a direct descendant of Ishmael who was Abraham's son. Just listen and think and hear about all of the different people groups and nations that are being mentioned and discussed here. You've got Christians, you've got Jews, you've got Islamic people, you've got Muslims. I can't even begin to do the math and try and figure out what percentage of the world's population that we're talking about here, but without a doubt, God's promise to Abraham impacted people. God's promise to Abraham will continue to impact people. In verse three, God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I don't mean to stand here and get political, but that's why we as a nation stand with Israel. I pray that we continue to stand with Israel because I certainly don't want to be on the other side of blessing from God and I certainly don't want to be on the receiving side of cursing from God. The next part of Genesis 12, 3 says, In you, 
all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. In our sentence that this sermon was built around, God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. This is gonna be the forever peace. The rest of the story of the Old Testament is a tracking of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So the entire rest of the Old Testament is, is built around God's promise to Abraham. And if you read through the Old Testament, what are you gonna find? Well, you're gonna find that there are ups and downs. You're gonna find that there are good times and bad times. You're gonna find that the people of God will follow and rebel and be put in captivity and then they're going to repent and then they're going to be rescued again and again and again in a cycle that's gonna last for hundreds and hundreds of years. But in all of it, God was weaving together a story of redemption for his people, a story that would take them from lost and broken to being made whole again. You can follow that through the entire Old Testament from beginning to end. And then what's gonna happen? Well, once you get to the end of the Old Testament, there's going to be a, a, a period of time, 400 years, where there is silence. And then you're gonna pick up in Matthew chapter one. In Matthew chapter one, we're gonna see some pretty heavy hitters and major characters of the Bible. Now, I'm not gonna read this whole thing to you for the sake of time, but what I am going to do is, is just point out and highlight some of the people that are mentioned. I'm sure you've heard some of these names at least a time or two growing up in church. But in verse one, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's our guy. So we're talking about Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. We've already talked about him a little bit this morning. Isaac begot Jacob. Keep going down, you'll see Boaz by Rahab. I'm sure we all know that story. Keep going down. Jesse begot David, the king, the same David that killed Goliath. David, the king, begot Solomon, the wisest man ever. David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. We know that story. Asa, Asa gets an honorable mention in there. Uzziah, another king. After you keep reading, you get down to verse 12 and you come across a name, Zerubbabel. Megan and Tyler, it's not too late to change his name. <laughs> Zerubbabel Kimbrell, what more can you ask for? Keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Jacob begot Joseph. And who is Joseph? The father of Jesus, who is called Christ. What does that mean to us? What it means to us is through God's promise to Abraham, we get Jesus. Because see, we live on the other side of the covenant that was, that was made hundreds of years ago. We experience the blessing of Abraham through the blood of Jesus every time we gather in his name. So this morning, we are experiencing the blessing of Abraham by the blood of Jesus. See, Abraham and his family spent their whole lives looking forward in faith to the coming Messiah. Abraham and his family spent their whole lives looking forward to the future, to the coming of Jesus. But we, today, we get to look back on those promises and know that he, being God, accomplished it all 
and delivered on every single one of his promises. So now at this point, I want us to pick up that frog leg of purpose again. Remember, we, we cut it off and set it to the side a few minutes ago. Well, I want us to pick up that frog leg of purpose. And our sentence that this entire sermon was built around, God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. What was the purpose of God's promise to Abraham? My dad is retired, which according to him means that his week consists of six Saturdays and one Sunday to break up all of the Saturdays. And one of our favorite things to do together is ride motorcycles. And when he's with me, I have to behave. But we ride with a lot of different people. And a few years ago, he hooked up with some other retired guys that also had six Saturdays in a row, and they also happened to ride motorcycles. And on one actual Saturday, my dad and I, we went to go ride motorcycles with this other group of retired gentlemen. So dad and I, we talked on probably Thursday morning or so uh, to figure out our plan for Saturday, uh, what time we were going to be leaving, where we were going to meet them, what direction we were going to be going, you know, all of the details. We, we talked about those details on Thursday and we decided that we were going to meet them at the F Mart on Highway 11 around 9 a.m. So that's about an hour from our house. And my dad and I, we have Bluetooth headsets and our helmets so that we can talk back and forth and, and that kind of thing. Well, on the way to the F Mart on Highway 11, I asked my dad if he had talked to the guys that morning to confirm that everything was still a go and that we were still going to meet at the F Mart on Highway 11 at 9 a.m., and he said, no, he hadn't talked to him. Well, you guys know me. What does that do to me? That creates a ton of anxiety in me. That creates a ton of unrest in me because why? I'm a planner. I like the details. So then I start thinking and I ask him a question. Well, Dad, what if they're not there? And he simply responds, they'll be there. All right. So I let that sink in, and I ask him, well, how do you know? How do you know that they're going to be there? And this is profound. He says, I just know. So my dad knew something about them that I didn't know. He knew their character. He knew their consistency. He knew their trustworthiness. See, my dad had been on several motorcycle rides with them over their full week of Saturdays, but I'd never been with them. He knew that if they said that they were going to do something, or if they said they were going to be somewhere at a certain time, then that's exactly what they were going to do. In church, it's the same with God. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham in order to demonstrate his character. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham in order to demonstrate his consistency. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham in order to, de to demonstrate his trustworthiness. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham in order to demonstrate that his word 
is true. See, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 12, God promised redemption from day one of the fall. God tells the serpent that through the seed of the woman, the head of the serpent will be crushed. And as we know through our studies and through our discernment, this is a picture of Jesus, which was delivered to us through the line and the lineage of Abraham. But it goes even deeper than that. Romans 15, 8 says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So therefore, we can look at the promise that God made with Abraham and allow that to give us faith and confidence that all of the other promises that he made through the scriptures are true. Don't miss this. Because God's promise to Abraham was true, Hebrews 13.5 is also true. When God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, we know that's true because God's promise to Abraham was true. Because God's promise to Abraham was true, James 1.5 is also true. When God says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. That is true because God's promise to Abraham was true. Because God's promise to Abraham is true, 2 Corinthians 1.4 is true. God comforts us in all of our tribulations so that we may be able to comfort others who are in trouble with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Because, Abraham, or because God's promise to Abraham is true, Romans 1.6 is true. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Because God's promise to Abraham is true, John 14, verses two and three is true, where Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I tell you that it's true, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come back and get you, and I'm going to receive you to myself. Because God's promise to Abraham is true, all of that's true too. God's promise of redemption began with this covenant with Abraham and would be completed through the work of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say that again. God's promise of redemption began with this covenant with Abraham and would be completed through the work of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is it that we serve a God who keeps his promises from generation to generation? Church, say amen. I think y'all can do better than that, but we'll let it go. How beautiful is it that we serve a God who wrote, who wrote a story of redemption for us all? Duncan, I'm gonna ask you to come on up and just play uh, softly in, in the background. And as we close, there's one more story or one more aspect of the story that I want us to talk about. Now you may have noticed, and I promise I can read, but most of the scriptures that we have read out of Genesis 
it doesn't actually say Abraham, but it says Abram. Now, I know that. I didn't miss that. It's not until chapter 17 that we see that change from Abram to Abraham, as I've been saying all morning. And in Genesis chapter 17, it reads, a personal sign for Abram, name change. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. May you multiply, or, or may, and may multiply you greatly. Verse three. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said, Behold, my covenant is with who? It's with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And it goes on and on and on. The reason I want to point this out and pull this out is because in addition to all of the other promises that God made to Abraham, he also made a personal promise that was between just the two of them. So my question for you is, what promise of God do you need to believe this morning? What promise of God do you need to believe? Is it the one where he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Do you need to believe the promise that God is here for you? because he was there with Abraham? Do you need to believe the promise that he wants to give you wisdom and guidance and other good things? Because he does. Do you need to believe the promise that he wants to comfort you? Do you need to believe the promise that he wants to give you peace? Because he does. Do you need to believe the promise that he loves you and wants to spend an eternity with you and is preparing a place for you? Because he does. Do you need to believe the promise of redemption that he is offering you through the gift of salvation? God's word is true. It is. And the way I know that his word is true is because his word was true to Abraham. And if his word was true to Abraham, his word is true to me. God's promise had a purpose that impacted people forever. But to take it even further, God's promise has a purpose that impacts you forever. 
God's promise has a purpose that impacts me forever. So churches, as we close, we'll do like we do every single week. We'll, we'll have a, a song. Uh, I'm sure Chris would, would love to come down here and pray with you if you need to. If there's anything that you need to work out between you and God, I encourage you to do so. The time is now. Look deep inside of yourself and see if you believe who God is, what he says. And if, if you don't believe that his word is true, don't leave. Don't leave here before you are, are sure and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that his promises are true. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. I thank you that you give me the word that I can open up and read. And God, as, as I open up the pages of this book and read about a man named Abraham who was on this earth thousands and thousands of years ago, God, I know that because of what you did through him and what you did for him, you're also going to do for me. Because God, just like you loved Abraham, you love me. God, you love this church. God, you love this world. That's why you made a covenant that you'll never destroy it with water again. That's why you make promises that you're going to prepare a place for us. God, just help us to know that these things are true. Because God, I know it's hard. It's really, really easy to tell people who are struggling or having a hard time, oh, just have faith. Just believe in God but it's a whole lot harder when the shoe is on the other foot and you're the one that has to do the believing. God, if there's anyone in this room that needs your comfort, if there's anyone in this room that needs your peace, if there's anyone in this room that needs your salvation, I just pray that you would meet them this morning, God. I thank you for your story, God. I thank you for being the great author. I thank you, God, for your character. I thank you for your trustworthiness. I thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I love you. That's in your name I pray. Amen.